Well, welcome to Looking for the Ocean, everyone. I hope that you all enjoyed yeah, that. We just lost so in. much great uh, content. Today we lost so much with great content. Danny Vincent. Just so let's know, this is our second Mark try Young. on time trying to record And this episode. I did really not open really up the document the last time. that tells us and how to start we, this we, we because I thought that you would be doing it. We did so. all this already. Well, I want to be higher. We're not talking about all the things that happened since we last recorded yet, because it's been kind of a while, and I know we have a lot of interesting things to talk about. Of course. But this is Looking for the Ocean, the podcast where we watch everything Pixar ever made. That means movies, short films, tech demos, and more. I'm Mark Young, and with me today, despite everything, is Danny Vincent. Yeah, I am. Danny. I am everything. I'm everywhere, and I am all at once. That's a movie that came out. Incredible. Yeah. yeah. No, we're not talking about The Incredibles this week. Um, well, what... We're talking what, about Raccoonie. <laughs> sure. What's going on with you? Uh, you know, I was sick. Like, actually, I think maybe I should tell the listeners that, because the last episode was Cars, right? So, yeah. on the last episode, I remember saying, like, I'm sick, guys. But what really was that day was I felt kind of sick. And then now it's like, oh, I'm, um, you know, I was like, I'm not that, okay, let me restart. I was like, I'm sick because I got sent home from work and I'm dealing with sinus infection. The next day felt so much worse than I did when we recorded. I woke up and was just dead to the world and that was basically my weekend. So this past week- Did you I, find out if you had COVID? No. Because I don't, because here's the thing is, I really, I mean, I guess I could still go figure that out, but I really, none of my symptoms really jive with COVID, I feel like. I would be very surprised, because also it was like, the symptoms building up to me getting sick felt, went really long, you know? But Wonderful. You'll contaminate all of your children. What was I Mm. thinking about the children recently? I had something to say with the children. Oh, I was going to tell, um, Julius something. I can tell it on this chat, this, this too. I'll just message Julius after, but I got really happy day at work because I was just talking to some kids about like life because I was in the homework room. Whenever I'm in the homework room, that means it generally is like homework room for 20 minutes and then I just kind of let the ones that I like go. Well, okay. So it's like the first 20 minutes, it's like the kids who are actually doing their homework are there to do their homework and then go to sport. Then after it's just the kids who don't want to do sport or art. So I just generally talk to them and like find out about their lives and it's a good time. And one of them just goes, Danny. Did you know that the same guy who wrote the main song in Toy Story wrote a song called Short People Got No Reason to Live? And I was like, you know what? I do. And I'm really glad you know that song. I'm really glad people, children today are still fascinated by Randy Newman's uh, full-out discography. I, I'm very happy about that. Very happy They're about growing this up. That's a little talking to me about this. <laughs> yeah, that's a little older than I thought you were in charge of. No, I thought I've said that before. I prefer the older kids. Uh, I gotta pick the kids I'd have. Second grade would be the youngest. I know. I just mean yeah. I thought that older kids would you know, care about short people, not the younger kids. Fourth grade is older. That's what. Fourth grade is an old like kid. Eight. How old do you think the kids I watch are? I'm saying that I'm surprised that an eight-year-old kid cares about the song "Short People" by Randy Newman. That's uh, really I all I'm also, saying. I, I, don't, also, I don't know about your. Uh, I would what? say your ages are off too. I'd say um, this kid's probably ten. I think do you the know what grader, I'm the saying? The second graders are eight. The second graders are eight. This is a ten-year-old. Great. I'm glad that he discovered Randy Newman. Yeah, that's all I'm saying. I'm confused about your your confusion. <laughs> what was that metal thing you showed me yesterday? 
you went to something at the music box and it was all like dank, but maybe the music box is always like that. Oh, um, are you talking about that I sent you the chalkboard? Yeah. Oh, okay. So I was, I more sent that to myself so I could upload it to Reddit, but I went to see Ace in the Hole yesterday at the music box because they're doing their Billy Wilder series, which side tangent, which will also help you out in the Letterboxd game probably down the road because I assume these are popular films that will eventually, you know, be to the top of the feed. Um... The real thing I was bummed about, the reason I saw Ace in the Hole was, guys, I was going to see Sunset Boulevard the week before. I got sick. I called. I was like, can I please? I'm sorry. I can't go there. Like, all right, we'll put a pass for you up here. You got to use it, though, in the next few weeks. So I'm like, all right, I guess I'll go see Ace in the Hole then. Because the only other one I want to see, like, I really want to see is uh, Some Like It Hot Again. But that one I'll have to pre-buy tickets because it's Valentine's weekend. So I went to see Ace in the Hole um, because of this. Because um, I had a free ticket that I had to use up. Um, cause I missed Sunset Boulevard. And the good news is, is that my indie theater that opened by my work is also doing a Billy Wilder series this month and Sunset Boulevard is tomorrow. So I will still catch Sunset Boulevard. It just won't, it won't be on film, but I've never haven't seen Haven't you it. not seen that one or is I haven't seen Sunset I Boulevard. I've seen Ace in the Hole and Some Like It Hot. I haven't seen Sunset. That's why I was like really prioritizing Sunset Boulevard and then I got really sick. So I couldn't go. Are they doing it on film? No, the theater I'm going to tomorrow isn't on film. The music box, all these are on film. But I still want to see it in a theater because it's cool to see movies in theaters. Um, but cool. I went to see Ace in the Hole, and when we were there, they're like, yeah, we're working on the calendar for March and April, which means I've got a lot of announcements to drop here because y'all are Billy Wilder super fans to come out on a Sunday morning for Ace in the Hole because even though I think Ace in the Hole is kind of a classic, and it's true, it's not really Sun Like It Hot or Sunset Boulevard or Double Indemnity, you know? Well, I think Ace in the Hole has been getting more critical recognition lately. No, I, I agree. I definitely agree. My brother, I went with my br- fun fact about my double feature did yesterday. I went with my brother Taste in the Hole and Julius to knock at the cabin and to put Julius on blast a little here. This is the first time I've ever gone to a double feature with two separate people where the two separate people fell asleep during both the movies. Now, Julius only fell asleep for like five minutes of knock at the cabin. But my brother... Mad respect to Julius for falling asleep during Knock at the Cabin. I thought Knock at the Cabin was great. I thought Knock at the Cabin is definitely... Sh- uh, I always butcher his name and I feel bad, but uh, so I'll just say M. Knight's. Um, I think it's M. Knight's best of his recent run. Um, and I really like old, too, so that's not really me. That's not me like being like, yeah, it's the best. When like I'm not like someone who's like, old sucks and split sucks. I think split's okay. But, you know, like I, I think old is legitimately great. Uh, so this is saying a lot from me. But... Anyway, so at Ace in the Hole, my brother fell asleep for most of it. He he was awake for the first 20 minutes, fell asleep, but then he woke up around the time, like, basically woke up with 30 minutes left, so I, afterwards I was like, you missed a lot of it, but honestly, you woke up at, like, the part where the movie gets, like, really great to me, because I think Ace in the Hole, it's good, it's a little repetitive in the middle. Like, it very much is like, we could probably tighten this up, personally. Um, but I think the last 30 minutes are really great, so I was like, yeah, you, you saw the best part, Tim. But anyway... So before, they're talking about their programming they have set up, and they say, one, they're doing a series of Coppola, Sofia Coppola films next month in March, which means I might finally see Lost in Translation. I'm not, I'm the, I'm not prioritizing Virgin Suicides, because I've seen that one, you know? If, you've, if I've seen it, I'm not, or Marion Antoinette, that's the other one I want to prioritize if they have it. They haven't, they didn't yeah. say. Then they're yeah. doing, a, I think, Carol Lombard, they said, was um, their April series of matinees. Um... But then they also said, we're also going to do a part two in the summer of Billy Wilder of the ones we haven't seen, have done. So I presume like Sabrina. They did say, um, like everyone's favorite Ernest Lubitsch film they're showing for the Carol Lombard. Um, is it, is it the have and have not? Is that Lubitsch? 
Oh, no, it might be like to be or not to be, but maybe I'm thinking of the Mel Brooks film that it's kind of influencing. Let me see. Well, they, they First... said that one is definitely coming. So I'm like, okay, cool. That's one I yeah, was it's also called to be or not to be. Okay, well, that, that's so. one I want to check out in the Lombard one. But then they also announced, this was really crazy to me, is that they're doing a, air quotes, nearly complete retrospective of Robert Zemeckis over a week. I just think the idea of picking Zemeckis is such a, like, whoa, like, crazy, like, that's a good, like, people don't really, like, I mean, people talk about Zemeckis, but people talk like, yeah, there's his good ones and there's not so good ones. And I know there's also, like, a lot of Zemeckis heads that are like, yeah, all of them are great, with the exception of some. And it's a nearly complete retrospective because, one, they can't get rights for The Witches or Pinocchio because they're streaming movies. And two, they're not going to show Polar Express, they're not going to show Christmas Carol because they're Christmas movies. But otherwise, it is Ooh. a complete retrospective. What?! I don't know. I think they should show the Christmas movies. Well, they also said they couldn't get Christmas Carol. So I think they just were like, well, we're not going to bother Polar Express and we can't get Christmas Carol. You really think with a selection like that, they're going to be having competition from the Alamo Draft House? It seems like well, I think they're they really such I, nice programming. Well, that's what I was saying to Julius. I'm like, because we were, oh, I I picked them up. Basically, I went to see Ace in the hole with my brother and then drove to Julius to get Julius. And then we drove to knock at the cabin. We talked on the way there. And I talked, I, as was right after I found this news out and I told them all this and Julius is like, they're doing some really weird programming there. I'm like, you know, I actually think this spring, their programming has been like ridiculously on point. <laughs> like this is the most I've gone to the music box in quite some time. And from what they announced, I'm like, yeah, I definitely want to, like, I want to do the, I, back to the future all in one day. That sounds fun. I won't, I've never seen Roger Rabbit with a crowd. That sounds great. I've never seen Contact. That to me is actually a big priority. I've never seen Contact. If they do a Password of Zemeckis sh- series, I will get it. Because I there are so many blind spots in this filmography and so much stuff I want to... Like, I know Forrest Gump is not considered to be great nowadays by, like, a lot of people. But I would like to revisit it. I've not seen it all the way through probably since middle school. So... Yeah. Like, I would do... Like, if they put... That was my thing about the Wilder thing is I really wish they put out, a, like, like, a $40 pass to all of them. Because I would have bought that. Although honestly, that would have not really been worth it because it's but <laughs> that's pretty much what it costs anyway when you're a member. Uh, if I went to all of them, but it's like it would give me the illusion that I'm paying for something. But if they do it as a Mecca's pass, I will definitely get it because like I want to see them all. Really, I mean maybe not Marwin or Allied because I guess I could see Marwin because I haven't seen Marwin, but I would probably skip Allied and The Walk because they don't have a 3D screen, so I really don't see a point of seeing The Walk. But mm-hmm. no, I sent that to you because I wanted to send it to other people because they, they were just putting up the uh, um, the the signage oh, okay. for the Zemeckis thing because they haven't announced. Danny the Danny sent me schedule. this picture that looked like it was in some basement <laughs> and it was the chalkboard on the back wall, but it had like spider webs and Bugs Bunny. Well, that's actually not the black. Well, if you're ever here, we should go. Um, that's right behind the um, ticket booth. It's just the way the setup is. That's like you enter. The tickets are you buy the tickets there, and the concessions are right there. It's not on the back. It's right at the. Uh, the register, the blackboard. It's just the cool setup. Um, the back was actually closed because they do Sunday brunch trivia. Charles, some maybe someday I'll go to, but I also don't really ever want to go there because it's usually older movies and I'm not good at that. I would love to talk old with you because I watched it uh, two nights ago because I think you posted about something about Knock at the Cabin or maybe that came up in my life or something. But I realized that old was on HBO Max and I decided to check it out and I did enjoy it, but I'm like. I think it's terrifying. How? I think it's one of the scariest... Old is terrifying? Yeah, yeah. I think old is one of the scariest, like, 
recent mainstream movies I've seen. Hmm. Interesting. Like, it existentially completely terrifies me. And I think it really captures, like... I mean, it, it, it might... I haven't seen it since Cedars, but I think it really captures the horror of growing... The idea of, like, just out of nowhere losing your hearing or out of nowhere, like, realizing, oh, shit, my kids are grown up and, like, I missed a valuable part of their lives. And I think it all has that, like, goofy M. Night dialogue, which is fine. I think it works there. I also think the goofy... uh, Well, not goofy. I think the cinematography in that movie is great. I think it's one of the coolest looking recent movies put out by, like, a major studio. Although I think Knock at the Cabin also, like, has one... I will say this about Knock at the Cabin. Uh, I keep... People are... We're making a joke about um, the... Uh, what What are you going to vote for the Oscar cheer moment of 2022? And I'm like, can I pick this particular scene? Like, this particular shot from, like, the last 15 minutes of Knock at the Cabin, even though I saw it in 2023? Because that's really... I've been thinking about one shot at Knock at the Cabin for years. That's something I've never seen in a movie before. And... It feels like something that should have been done before in like a horror movie, but like, it's it's done really well. Well, yeah, I just wanted to know if it was something maybe I should go check out. I kind I of am it's familiar great. I really with the plot it. of the yeah. I'm familiar with the plot of the book, and I I don't know. I might not get to it because I think that the movie's changes. Yeah, I don't know. I the book sounds much more exciting to me, um, but. You know, There's a lot of whatever. discourse going around the internet about the ending and something else on our um, itinerary to talk about. So I will put a pin in it till we're done talking about old and then use that, that as our transition. <laughs> well, I wanted to talk about old because, I don't know, I this is another thing where I feel a little bit awkward bringing it up. But I got into old because I think I read some criticism, not criticism, it was just you know a reporter saying that they took it as like a black comedy and I think that is the best way for me to receive old. Like, I, there are definitely, like, horrifying moments, and I do think it is one of the better directed things that I've seen in a long time. Contemporary things. But I think that, like, I just cannot square some of the things that people say if it's not a comedy. I will say this about Knock, Knock at the Cabin. Uh, it is... I think M. Night's first ever co-written script, and it really shows the dialogue in a good sense. It does not sound like an M. Night movie, with the exception of, like, some of Batista's speeches, but that's fine, because he's playing, like, you know, a doomsdayer. Um, Well, that's the thing. I kind of thought that it was a good choice to make these rich tourists talk that way, but I couldn't take it if it was in any other situation. Well, I think my thing of old is also. I think old is such a. And old's been out of year, so I feel okay spoiling it. I think the ending of old is so. Like. I don't. I hate saying the word objectively about movies, but I have yet to read anyone defend the lot. Like the air quotes twist of old as. Oh, yeah, that definitely made the movie better explaining all that. I have yet to find anyone being able to convincingly argue that. <laughs> it's a movie that I'm like, well, I really. <laughs> it might be me, actually, because I went in thinking I would hate the ending, and I actually was like, you know what? If they spend all this time being like, oh, well, the medicine keeps you alive for this long, which means this much in people in like real world years and I was like oh well that makes sense and that kind of sets up this interesting 
conflict because if you read about it, you just think, oh, they're just fucking with people and you don't really understand why, you know, it's there's nothing compelling in it. So maybe in the end it's not particularly compelling, but it was more compelling to me than I thought it would be going in. I think it's just, you know, it is just like an M. Night info dump at the end. And I say that because, you know, like, he's a lot, like... And I don't want to compare the two, because I actually think M. Night is a more talented filmmaker than Christopher Nolan, but I feel like their dialogue has very similar vibes at points, although I think M. Night usually is in a more interesting direction. Like, M. Night's trying to sound like... I don't know, Nolan is very functional in his exposition, whereas M. Night's, like, trying to make it sound lyrical and kind of failing. But the main thing I remember about Old's ending, and it's the thing I like about the ending, is the shot of M. Night at the camera... Uh, which is, like, the best cameo. I, I think it is my favorite cameo of his. It's just, like, it's perfect. It's just, of course, M. Night is shooting this from afar. Like, I love that. It's a fun little bit. Yeah. But... I... the That was fun, but I just... I don't know. It's... <laughs> I, I don't think, know, man. I think, it's just, I think it's a scary movie. I just remember I, I saw with, uh, my friend Matt, and we left the theater, and we're like... Uh, that was that was horrifying. <laughs> that was like that was disturbing. <laughs> but not like this. The thing that's funny about that movie is like I think about like it's very much one of those movies where I only think about the stuff I liked. Because like you bring up Rufus Sewell to me in that movie, I'm like, oh yeah, he was definitely in it. Or like the what about the the woman who like has um, scoliosis or however you pronounce it? What about that woman who like becomes like a walking uh, whatever you want to call her? Picasso painting. I'm like, oh yeah, that was definitely something that happened. Um, I actually think it's really funny that Old is PG-13 and Knock at the Cabin is R. Because I think Old definitely could have used an R anymore, whereas Knock at the Cabin doesn't really feel R at all. Do they say fucking Knock they at do the say, Cabin? Yeah, they do. Um, I will say about also Knock at the Cabin is... um, Well, not, not even Knock at the Cabin, it, about M. Night in general. I think, I think what he's doing is just so cool. Um... Because he fi- since the visit, he has financed all of his movies on his own. Because he wants Final Cut. He's like, I can keep the budget below $20 million, and the way my movies do, and as long as I have confidence in myself, it's going to make back that money. Which is, tr- it's accurate. Like, <laughs> like, he keeps the movie low enough budget. He's a well-liked enough filmmaker that he's always going to have actors who want to work with him. And then you get stuff where it's like, Vicky Kripes and Gail Garcia Bernal are leading this movie. Um, and then you get stuff like now where it's like, it's Dave Bautista and Jonathan Groff. And it's like, cool. Like, I like these guys. (laughs) People you don't expect to lead genre movies, but like, well, no, you expect Bautista to lead a genre movie, but it's not like you expect him to have the role he does. And it's these actors doing this really cool work with this guy who knows how to shoot a movie. But anyway, I still not get the cabin for free. Should I put AMC on blast on this? Yeah. In fact, I think I should put them on blast on this podcast. Because I used the um, I used our Twitter account for me to get my refund. <laughs> um, we saw it at the Dolby, and the audio kept cutting out. Not constantly. It was most mostly noticeable during the opening credits, where it's like the music is blaring. I just think they had the movie too loud, and it like made the speakers blow out a bit for like split seconds. Um, it hmm. was a lot during the opening credits, and then it happened a couple more times throughout. And I was just like. After the movie, you know, I went to complain. I was like, yeah, you might want to get those speakers checked out. Because you can't really outright ask for a refund. Because that's the number one way not to get one. You know, because they'll be like, nah, you're fine. You finished the movie. 
So I was like, yeah, uh, just so you guys know, there's an issue with your Dolby. We just saw a knock at the cabin there, and the sound is, like, kind of coming in and out. At, uh, and they're like, all right, so the movie's done. And we're like, yeah. They're like, okay, we'll check it out then. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> well, I can't really argue for a refund now. This conversation is over. So then I went on Twitter hmm. and DM the uh, AMC helps, and I was like, yeah, I saw a knock at the cabin earlier. And in Dolby, and I was just really disappointed because I it was my fr- I was taking my friend who doesn't usually do Dolby, and it was uh, a shame that the sound quality was not perfect. And they're like, all right, well, here's a refund. I was like, great, thank you. That's really all I want here because your poor like, Julius wanted a refund too. Lost. I sent it to Julius the money because Julius it was on I you know because I wanted the stubs points, and we all so know AMC it, is like, wanting for cash. Well, no, it was after the opening credits. I think it happened three or four times. But it would always happen like during a really tense moment because it would be when the movie is loud. So it would really take you out of the moment. Like when it happens, it would be like, wait, what's going on? Um, and you miss it because you miss like a split second of dialogue. Because it's really noticeable when you're in a Dolby theater and it's just so loud and just out of nowhere there's silence. And it's not like purposeful silence, you know? Especially this movie because I think this movie, this movie has like a pretty constant soundscape of like crickets in the background of it. Or, like, you know, it has very much, like, we're in the woods and there's life around you type of thing. And so, like, as soon as yeah. it goes quiet for a split second, you immediately catch it. But speaking of Knock at the Cabin and the ending change, but not to talk about the ending of Knock at the Cabin, is I did see discourse on Twitter comparing Knock at the Cabin to The Last of Us Episode 3, which we both watched. And as straight white men, we definitely need to drop our opinions on The Last of Us Episode <laughs> oh well i liked it so there it was it's the only reason i don't know it's I mean, the pilot just, was you know bad. i actually didn't mind the pilot as much as i i mean i don't know if if you want to whoo i can't i cannot do all these things on mike i do not like the last of us show but i really really liked the episode three i mean it seems like a different show but i mean i really liked it i thought it was very sweet and I just liked seeing them have their relationship. And I think that Nick Offerman, if it was... I mean, you know, it's not like no one can do that part. But I think Nick Offerman brought something to that character where I wouldn't have cared if it wasn't someone like Nick Offerman playing it who doesn't take you know, things seriously. No, he was a replacement, seriously. right? I do, yeah. Yeah. Um, Connell like, a good actor, though. I was a little bummed after I found out Connell Neal was supposed to be it. Well, but I think that, like, Nick Offerman plays everything so, uh, dryly, I guess, and he, he he's just, he's so serious that when he gets emotional, it means way more. See, yeah, me. I was gonna say, I cried three separate times in this episode. I cried when he started crying. It was, like, one of those things where, like, you know, someone's yawning. Then I cried at the end when... See, that was the thing, is where I'm like, I can't really give full credit to Nick, even though I do think Nick Offerman and, um, is it Murray Bartlett? I think they're both fantastic in this episode. Yeah. But what got me really crying at the end was just Pedro Pascal's expression when he was reading the letter. Like, that really got me. And I was like, dang. And then also, like, the final shot being set to Linda Rodstein. I was just like, ugh. I started crying again. <laughs> like, because yeah. I actually do think, um, Hot take, but not really. It would only be a hot take if I dropped this before the episode came out because no one really talks about Linda Rodstadt. Um, 
I don't really listen to her, but I remember I once saw like a documentary about her where I just found it incredibly moving because I never really listened to her, and I just find her voice like so wrought with emotion pretty constantly. And like, mm-hmm. so the, like I'm like, oh, they're playing a Rinderlander song. Of course, it's gonna make me cry. Ah. But you know what did not make me cry, and I do think should be more part of the discourse of that episode, is that we need to retire the Max Richter track of On the Nature of Daylight. What is... what? You didn't catch that? Oh my... So, in The Last of Us Episode 3, we get the point... Well, we're spoiling Last of Us Episode 3 at this point. Sorry if you're binging the whole show, but also at this point, I think Last of Us Episode 3 is like what such... Is there to, as in the- yeah, I mean, every, I think everyone knows more about Last of Us Episode 3 than they do about the rest of the show. Yeah. Um, you get the part where it's like Nick Offerman's told by... Well, you know what? I think it's... Uh, I think uh, Bill is told... Frank is told by Bill because Offerman is Frank. I, here's the thing. I think this... This is a weird thing I mean, always is... I think if something is good, like very good, I actually should refer to them by character names. <laughs> Because I think that gives the story more respect. It's like a weird tick of mine. <laughs> but, Unfortunately, I don't remember their names. Well, no, I know but, it's Bill and Frank. Okay. I just don't remember which is which. Um, whatever. I guess I can say Nick Offerman and Murray Bartlett. But Nick Offerman is told by Murray Bartlett that um, Murray Bartlett wants to be his last day. We get Nick Offerman crying. And then we get the montage of the other day, which is set to On the Nature of Daylight, which is this Max Richter track that I don't know what it's originally from, but it's in Moneyball. It's in a couple other shows. It's most famously in Arrival. And I think Arrival is what everyone kind of agrees killed it. Because Arrival uses it really well to the point where people thought that song was written for Arrival. Um, personally, for me, I think I killed it. Because if you watch the classic Danny student film, Shit in a Can Working Title, at the end, I play that song over over Julius being like, I'm sorry, guys, it was me. I shit in the can. Spoiler alert for shit in the can working title. <laughs> but my point is it's a really overused sad song, and they play it over the montage of their final lit. I was actually really mad when it started because I'm like, I don't I feel nothing right now because I recognize this song. Um and it shouldn't be a surprise. I mean, even if you didn't recognize the song, the people making The Last of Us should know that like they are in the genre space that arrival is, so that way a lot of people who probably really like a rival watch The Last of Us, and they're going to immediately think of that song when that starts playing, and it's just like, I was really mad, because I, mean, I was really relieved when that's, they it, they had, like, the dinner scene afterwards, because I was like, I swear, if this ends, like, with them just playing this music, and this is the end of their story, I'm going to be so mad, because it will completely, like, not really give me closure to the story, because I won't get the cry, and I want to, because the music is just so distracting. But then you got it when the Lin- Linda Ronstadt came back on. Well, and I also got it beforehand when Pedro Pascal was reading the letter. And that's the reason, I'll be honest, that's why I'm still watching the show. I, I think it's really nice to have Pedro Pascal to have, like, a, finally a vehicle have for a his, like, talent. Well, he, in, like, I think Pedro Pascal is one of those actors who is pretty constantly, like, the best part of something he's in. Um, even Mando, mm. the thing about Mandalorian is, like, the episodes where he gets the mask off are by far the best episodes of the show. It's like, oh, yes, let him act. Yeah, I like Pedro Pascal. Yeah, like, him just looking at a letter, like, can make me cry. And then this last episode that I saw, I watched episode four today. And I said I was going to say, watch so I could have the take on whether you should continue or not. Uh, episode four is kind of a transition episode. 
So it's kind of like whatever, but there's a point at the end of the episode where he just starts laughing for the first time and just feels so nice. Like to see pa- in this role to see Pedro Pascal just break down laughing at a dumb joke. It's like great. I love this. I love you. I love you, Pedro Pascal. But I don't know. I'm, I'm liking the show more than I thought I would after the pilot. Even though yeah, episode three has been the highlight. Mm-hmm. I really. I mean, I don't know. I watched the first two episodes, but I kind of skipped forward through parts of them. I really like. I think there are parts of the first episode that made me think like oh this must have come from the game and i bet that was really exciting in the game especially I, yeah. like I think the when they do like that. the children of men shot that's the not car. the children of yeah. men shot and i'm like well this was great in children of men but like you know and i i geek out about that sort of thing but i'm also just like eh. and, and I, then i think i i really like i like a i like a concepty thing um but it just kind of after the first episode where we like learn about you know the world and everything i think it kind of runs out of ideas for me i was surprised by how much of a charactery show it becomes and it's all about like his relationship with this young girl who swears a lot well um, what, what i was gonna say about the um the first episode well no 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 about it being a video game this is my bit from today's episode which is i watched it and in this, you know, at the end of episode three, they get the truck and they're like, we're going to drive to Wyoming. And over the course of episode three, until episode four, until they basically get to Kansas City before they stop and like the plot starts again, right? You know, like stuff happens in Kansas mm-hmm. City. So that's a lot of driving from Boston to Kansas City. So I text my chat of people who I know are watching this show and be like, hey, people who played the game, how long is this game? And I go, like, it's about 15 hours. I'm like, really? I would assume at this point in the show, we are about 30 hours into the game. They're like, what are you talking about? How? And I'm like, well, I assume you had to drive the entire way from... I assume it became a driving simulator for a bit of you driving from Boston to Kansas City because there's a lot of dialogue in that car and I assume it's not all made up for the show. And they're like, yeah, it is all made up for the show. And I was like, what? I I obviously know it's not a driving simulator even though... (laughs) Yeah, really well, I mean, have you ever played the Uncharted games? Uh, no. I've seen the bad movie. Well, they're just... Yeah. They're the same company. It's all yeah, very, know, yeah, like, yeah. story games. And there's not a lot of, like, driving simulator in those games. They're, like, very... That's a plane simulator. They're very much, game. like, there is a narrative and you are following the narrative. But how are you going to get the connection sad. between Joel and Ellie unless you're stuck with a car with Ellie for 30 hours? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I probably won't watch more. But I hope, you know, I it will be cool if Nick Offerman wins something for this. It's crazy thinking about this sort of thing. Except against like, Andy Circus and Andor. Well, I don't know. I haven't gotten to that part of Andor yet. It's kind of interesting, you know, just another example of some guy that he was on Parks and Rec for like, you know, however many seasons that has. And now we have a Nick Offerman character, just more proof that no one like comes out of nothing. And even before then, he was like, well, we saw that movie know, that I always talk about with him and all that sort of thing. And that movie that no one talks about that I always talk about where he plays the dad who has a band that calls that's called We're Not a Band. Oh yeah, I like that well, movie. It's a right. nice, it's a nice little movie. I feel like if it came out 
like two years later on Hulu during the pandemic would have been something that everyone talked about for three weeks. Nick Offerman is always given like such a bizarre dialogue, and I don't yeah, know what accurate. that is about. And I, do you know what I mean? Like I remember that about that movie too. He'll have like something. It's what I really liked about this episode is that like the moments of tenderness seemed so earned and I feel like there are a lot of shows where he has to be like earnest in an uncomplicated way and it just doesn't work for me so then you get a lot of lines of dialogue that are like perfect sentences or whatever and he has to like deliver that in a single shot as the camera pushes in on him and like something else is happening and he's like you know what? Maybe we should start a band or, or something like that. Or like that. it zooms in on him and he goes, "You know, Frank, we really are the last of us." Uh, I'm so glad that I can finally yeah. join in all these last of us memes after years of seeing gamers use it. You're losers now cuz this is an HBO show. Why are they losers? They're not losers. I'm, I'm joking. <laughs> They're not losers. I'm not going to commit to the bit of me calling all these people who played The Last of Us losers because it's a pretty popular game. I'm actually kind of surprised how huge it is for HBO. This is um, We're recording this again the day after episode four came out, and every episode has done better than the previous by like a significant... It's not like the incremental increases of House of the Dragon. It's like the last episode jumped 17% in viewership. I think, but I do think episode three kind of exists in that realm where even if you don't like it, I don't necessarily think people, if you like it, you're not necessarily going to stay around for episode four because it's like, well, I got what I wanted out of this. I really like, like, the idea of it being a fungal thing. <laughs> I like the opening of episode uh, two cannot... a lot. The Indonesia stuff. I thought that um, was good. Oh, I hated that. You hate everything, Because Mark. it's like, hmm? You hate everything. Go on, sorry. I was just like, you hate I don't everything. hate everything. I just, it's so, it was so crazy watching episode three because it was finally like, all right, some guy can come along and just kind of like criticize everything else that is going on. Or it, at least that's, that's like how I imagine Nick Offerman's character. But all that Indonesia stuff was everything that frustrates me about things like this, where it's like, Everything's just kind of slow, and it creates this false sense of drama. And, I don't know, the shots aren't that interesting. It's, like, yellow, because it's foreign. And it's like, what what do we have to do? Well, I bomb, will say this about episode three. everything. It, episode two. Is the it, Last of Us. You can tell that, like... Okay, also, side note, I feel like more people need to be talking about... I actually... Maybe you don't like it. I really like the opening credits of the show, which is something I could not say about House of the Dragon. But like, I let the I let the opening credits play. I like it. It's very it's a vibe, you know. It's no succession, but it's a vibe of an opening credits. But um, I think episode two is very obviously the first time a video game creator is directing something. <laughs> like that, it's very obvious that like okay. Um, Was that directed by a video game person? Neil Druckmann. It's directed by the guy who wrote. And I think produced the original game Last of Us. Because hmm. most of this is um, written by Craig Mazin, who wrote famously The Hangover Part Two. Actually, what's been really what was really striking me about Episode Four is that Melanie Linsky is guest studying in it now, and it's like I like Yellow Jackets. Very distracting for her to be there. Come on, actors hmm. can only play one role. I say as I refuse to watch The Mandalorian season three. <laughs> no, I haven't seen Yellow Jackets. It's a good show. 
Very fun. It's fun. That's the key. It's not really a great show, but it is a fun show. I mean, I wish we could get more Dave Batista. I like that. You know, everyone has a different celebrity angle that is used to market them, and I like that Dave Batista is, is that he cares about acting. And I agree. I would love to see more roles of him that are like in Blade Runner, Blade Runner, because I thought well, like that. Watch was Knock just at the Cabin. Perfect... It's a fun role. You want? Yeah. To... Well, what I also want to say about Knock at the Cabin very briefly, because you mentioned Batista, is it got me a little sad in a sense because. Have I told you what my dream role for Batista is? Because I do have a dream... Like, in my mind, I know exactly how he wins an Oscar. Like, he will star in a movie like Lady Bird. Like, that type of coming-of-age movie. Where he plays, like, the guidance counselor. And it'll be a supporting role where he's, like, the guidance counselor who the main character doesn't take seriously. And then he gets, like, this showstopper monologue like Robin Williams in Good Will Hunting. Like, that is the role that Dave Batista wins oh, his yeah, Oscar for. Oh, yeah, that would be a good one. Yeah. Um, and then in Knock at the Cabin, it re- they reveal very quickly that his day job is he's a second grade teacher who coaches um, a basketball team. I'm like, dang it, that's pretty close to like the archetype I'm talking about. And now if he ever does do that archetype, people are going to compare him to Knock. They're going to make jokes about Knock at the Cabin. <laughs> like... mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, maybe. Hmm, I don't know. You, you don't think they'd like put some... I imagine for some reason when you described your film... <laughs> oh man, who's I for always forget the name of the guy that played the priest in Lady Bird. Stephen uh, McKinley Henderson, I think, or I might have mixed up Henderson McKinley. I don't know which order mm. it's in. Um, he's in imagine... the Bo is Afraid trailer for literally one shot. <laughs> <laughs> I just imagined them like they put like white hair on Dave Batista, <laughs> like. In order to play that role, I imagine him with like a white, um, like what's the a white like Tony Stark beard or whatever that's called. You know, Sarah and I have been working on this play for a bit, and we originally wrote the role for like Bradley Cooper because we always like write roles with people in mind. But now I'm like, Batista might actually fit in that that, that role that we have in that that script. I should send it to him, because Dave Bautista is always, like, looking for rom-coms, and this isn't a rom-com, but it is a meaty role. In general, I feel like Bautista is, like, the type of person I'd be like, yo, I'd love, like, he's probably, like, him and Adam Driver are, like, the two actors I'm like, yeah, I would love to work with, 100%. Mm-hmm. Did I tell you about the time at work recently, where my boss was like, if you could direct any movie, who would you cast and why? And I was like, well, Bradley Cooper's probably my first bet, because... I want my movie to make money, <laughs> and I think he's really interesting always. And then I was like, uh, Adam Driver, Tessa Thompson, well, you know, like, and then my boss goes, and I discover this is all, it's one of those things where you were asked a question, but it's really something where your boss wanted to gush about something else and, like, expected you to answer similarly so she could talk about it. She goes, I'm surprised mm-hmm. you didn't say Jared Leto. <laughs> I'm just like... I would never want to work with Jared Leto. And the thing is with my boss, is we've had a converse, a long conversation once about Kevin Spacey and how people are innocent until proven guilty. So I don't want to bring up all that stuff with Jared Leto. And so I just say, I don't want to work with Jared Leto because I heard that he's on set doing things like he's playing a superhero who's on crutches and refuses to stop using the crutches because he wants to, and it makes him wait 40 minutes to go to the bathroom so he can use the crutches to go to the bathroom. And so that's, that's my whole thing. I don't want to work with that type of method actor. And that's how I get my way out of the conversation of saying why well, I would never want to work with Jared Leto. 
Well, right. should we move on to games unless you want to talk about Tar? Because I just I saw Tar. I think between the time do we do you want to talk about Tar? I don't care if we talk about Tar or not. Not really. I, I like Tar, and that's it's all. got a great great ending. That's to me means the ending to me pushes. Oh, you already spoiled yourself on the ending, but the ending pushed it up a half star for me. I did finish yeah. my wait wait. I did finish my Oscar ranking. If you want my Oscar ranking of the best What's picture your category. Oscar ranking? All right, so oh. I had an well, Oscar. Well, I kind of I feel like I'll know it, but like, okay, let's see oh, what you, you guess do it? with the unexpected ones. No, oh I don't want to guess it because I'll get them. I'll miss some titles, but like you'll say everything, and I'll be like, oh, of course. But I mean, I'm curious what you'll do with the more controversial inclusions. All right, I'm loading it up. Sorry, I, I had to go on Letterbox to find it, and I did notice that someone finally logged. At the time this episode is out, it will be like not relevant at all anymore. But I've been like, like, where are the Magic Mike's Last Dance? Uh, where, where where are the reactions to this movie? Why is no one talking about this yet? And it's like, oh, all right. Someone finally put up a reaction to Magic Mike. All right. Guess the best film on this list. Uh, well, everywhere, everywhere, all at once. Okay, guess the worst. This is the only two I can guess. Women talking. So from best to worst, it's everything I roll at once. The Fablements, both five out of five. Then at 4.5 out of five grades for me is Avatar The Way of Water, then All Quiet on the Western Front. And then both at 4 out of 5 for me is Top Gun Maverick and then Tar. Yes, I like Top Gun Maverick more than Tar. Um, then the one that's at 3.5 is The Banshees of Inishirin. Then Elvis, Woman Talking, and Triangle of Sadness in last. Oh, Lamau. Well, now I want to ask you, because I had a good time at Tar, even though I think it's kind of a simple... It's not a super deep film, even though it's about a lot of intellectual people. Um, but I had a good time if someone that, I mean, we knew in like three years hadn't seen it, I'd be like, let's sit down and watch Tar, you know? Tar's too long for that for me. And it's not like, mm. it's not like everything everywhere where it's like a fun long or even Avatar where it's a fun long. Tar to me is like a long wait for really good payoff, but it's like, I don't, I feel like watching it with someone who doesn't know what they're getting, I think they're going to give up an hour into it, which is before you get really any payoff to me. Although I do think the first 30 minutes of Tar is really good, too. I think the back-to-back of the New Yorker and the college scene is really great. Then after that, I kind of lose interest for a bit, and then the ending comes in, and I'm like, yeah, this is great. Um, I do, yeah, I just, I do not care about her wife or her yeah, partner I, at all. I did and not I, understand. I As someone who's that. into the Oscar, like, you know, uh, in the Oscar discourse, there was a part after this movie premiere where I was like, oh, yeah, Nina Haas might win. And I was like, I watched the movie, I'm like, she does nothing. Like... She did nothing, and she didn't get nominated. So I'm, and she never really got traction. So I'm like, I like Nina Haas. Like I've seen Phoenix; she's really great in Phoenix. But I do not understand the hype here at all. Well, it's just that part is like so nothing. Yeah, it's 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 in, it's incredible how her her assistant has like so so much uh, conflict. And we get a little bit of that when we go back to their apartment and she's like freaking out about the pills and things. And I just really wanted more of that. And I mean, I, I guess it's it's the movie's choice to kind of give us little snippets of her family life. I feel like that is so much of that is left unexplored. And I think the movie wants it that way. But I'm also like, uh I did have an update for you on something that I said controversially a few weeks ago, which is, I don't like watching foreign movies at home. Um, I watched a foreign movie at home, and I really liked it. It was Incredible. happening. It's on Hulu. 
I recommend. Which one is that? It won the Golden Lion um, in 21, um, but it came out here in April. So I was like, all right, I'll watch it. Um, Technically, it was actually submitted to the Oscars last year. Okay, so France had three options to submit to the Oscars. One of them was Happening, which won the Golden Lion. One of them was Petite Maman, which makes sense because it's Celine Sciamma. And then the last one was Titane, which won the Palme d'Or. But anyone who watches Titane, I feel like, would logically assume it's not the one to submit to the Oscars. And then they submitted, they picked Titane. And I'm just like, having now seen Happening, I'm like, why would you do that? As someone who likes Titane. But I, I think Petite Maman and Happening are better films. And I think they're also way more obviously like Oscar-y movies. But Happening is about a woman in the 60s in France who's trying to get an abortion. And it's about like the hellscape of getting going through that and trying to get it done. And I thought Damn, it was that really could have been great. Best picture. Maybe, yeah, maybe if someone. Well, I mean, IFC had it, which means it probably was never going to because IFC is actually really bad at distributing movies. Um, but it probably like it won the Golden Lion, so it would have definitely got it nominated. I feel like. I mean, it would have probably lost to Drive My Car, but it's also just like this was really great. I thought it was a really good mm-hmm. movie. I recommend. It's on Hulu. It's French. I'm glad that... Do I know how to pronounce it? Titan? I'm glad that it can say that it's Oscar-nominated, you know? It wasn't Oscar-nominated. It was Oscar-submitted. There's a difference. Oh, it was submitted? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah it was Oscar- Well, that's, never mind. That's the whole thing to me. Is like It makes no sense watching that movie to submit that movie. <laughs> like... Mm-hmm. Like, it's so obvious the Oscars would never go... And I know we say that about like everything everywhere, but it's like... No, not not to the same sense of Titan. <laughs> All right. Yeah. You ready? So, you, do you think? Okay, go on. <laughs> go do you on. often? Do you find that like I kind of have forgotten how this works out in Titan? Raw is so exciting, and then it has kind of a like I don't know. It has kind of a like more conservative ending then I think is why I am interested in Raw. I kind of want to see a girl be a cannibal. And then you find out at the end, it's like, oh, maybe it's part of this like cycle of abuse and everything. And it's like, oh, well, okay. I guess, you know, people shouldn't be cannibals. But I get that feeling from the the the, the French film that will go unnamed, too. Is that I don't like, mind mispronouncing Titan. It'll be it will survive. It has a palm door. Well, I want to know how. Well, my hot t- I have a very hot take on Titan, but it's something that I must I must present with no questioning about it. Because um, whenever I say this, it generally gets like a reaction. Like I'll send this to my chat because it's like it's a bit that I think is funny, but also is pretty accurate. Um, but I I always get like very like I get like an emoji reaction of like what what are you talking about or like what the fuck. And I, it's that uh, I think Titan is one of the sexiest movies I've ever seen. I, I think that movie's ridiculously hot. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> and and, 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 and I, people who like elaborate, I'll be like, no, <laughs> I, I don't need to. <laughs> do you have <laughs> what? Do you have a sexiest film list? I mean, okay. I, I just have like I ones that come, like movies that are sexy. All right, in the mood for love, obviously. Titan, obviously. Um, Did you say In the Mood for Love? You kind Yeah, of... In the Mood for Love is a oh. sexy movie. Um, I'd have to think of other ones. I think 
think the sexiest blockbuster in like the last five years is probably Black Panther, the original. That's a very sexy movie. I think A Star is Born is very sexy, the remake. Mm. I don't know. I think I'd have to really like pull up a list of like movies because it usually has to also be a movie I like, right? You can't really say like, oh, that movie sucked, but it was at least sexy, right? Um, That just means I'm attracted to a lead if I think a bad movie is sexy. But like, if it's a good movie and it's sexy, it generally just means it's like, oh yeah, like this movie's this movie is kind of horny and it's also like very like attractive about it. If that makes sense. Yeah, I I appreciate your list because I feel the same way. I am like I'm kind of indifferent about movies that are like sexy movies, but to speak about something that I think I mentioned like uh man a week or so ago or whatever, I think the Pink Panther original movie is really hot. Um, I haven't seen it, in so I haven't seen that since I was a child, so I have no opinion on the the, the I, well, sexiest I don't know of Pink like, Panther. I what still was, think the ending is really funny, but I, I, I think, think the gangs all here is sexy. Sorry, I was thinking like older movies because you said Pink Panther. I was like, what are older movies that are sexy? Oh well, I'm just talking about like movies that are not like Black Panther. I don't know, like okay, I get I, like you dub that movie sexy, and I was like okay, I see the sexiness in Black Panther, but I think that is more an accurate list of like sexy movies is not to pick like sexy movies or whatever, but it's. Like there movies are, about there are things be... in this movie that are so attractive for a number of different reasons. Yeah, and I, I think the Pink Panther original. It's because of the way they recorded audio, and it is also like, <sighs> and like it's also rough. So even in the, like the joke scenes where they're like in bed and you hear like the sheets rustling and they're like in your head and all that sort of thing, it's like a great effect. Mark, mm. is the time. Game time? Yeah. yeah. Now I want to talk about sexiness anymore. I guess I'm more talked about it enough. I haven't seen the Pink Panther recently like, enough to really I'm talk. I'm not giving as much as I'm taking. But <laughs> The Letterboxd right. game, where we try to guess films based on films that are films. I always mix up when I'm reading so loud. I say, I say films the first time, then it says movies, so then I get, butch- I, I get tripped up. I should say films. I don't know. I don't know. We, we try to guess movies based on films that Letterboxd say we might also enjoy. So if Letterboxd recommends Big Hero 6 and Megamind in the recommended tab, the movie you might be trying to guess could be Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. I'll start by giving you the first five recommended titles. After each wrong guess, you'll give at the original film, you'll get either more titles or another hint. I leave titles out of the recommended list if they have the same director of the original film or if they're in the same franchise. So for Spider-Verse, I would not say The Amazing Spider-Man because that's a Spider-Man movie, nor would I say Rise of the Guardians because that has the same director of Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, Peter Ramsey. As always, I basically I have ten films here. They've been ra- ranked from most popular, least popular. I'll give you the three most popular, starting with the most. So, are you ready for round one? Yes. All right, round one. Your first five films are Boyhood, Lady Bird, The Squid and the Whale, Joy, the David O. Russell film from 2015, and Greta Gerwig's Little Women. Women talking? It is not women talking. It is women talking in the top 25? Uh, let me adjust my view on here. No, it is not in the top 25. You got another guess. The whale. It is not the whale. The whale is not in the top 25. So next you get the year. You are in the right area. The year is 2022. What films came out about women that wasn't the one called women talking? 
I mean, the first movie was Boyhood, so just putting that out here, that it's not necessarily about women. I did say, I said two movies with male leads. I said, I did Ah, say. well. <laughs> Dang, wasn't there something, I don't know, something starring Jacob Tremblay? You need to, you need to say the movie. I have no titles. I don't know. The I, I don't. One. Well, I'm telling you right now, I don't think Jacob Tremblay was in a movie in 2022, so I don't know what you're guessing. <laughs> Bottle Rocket? Did you hear the year? Yeah, but I don't know when Bottle Rocket came out. My dear friends, normally I would let this slide, but I'm pretty sure that I meant to say Red Rocket, which came out in 2021, not Bottle Rocket, which was Wes Anderson's debut film. I am so sorry. Bottle Rocket did not come out last year. No, it's not Bottle Rocket. Bottle Rocket. Okay, oh, I told you I didn't know when it came out, so I didn't like. Bottle Rocket is not in the top 25. So next you get five additional movies. So let me say the five additional movies, and then I'll do the full recap of all 10. So five additional movies are The Tree of Life, The Glass Castle, Wildlife, Saving Mr. Banks, and Finding Neverland. So the 10 films are Boyhood, Lady Bird, The Squid and the Whale, Joy, Little Women, Greta Gerwig's version, The Tree of Life, The Glass Castle, Wildlife, Saving Mr. Banks, and Finding Neverland. Now, just to make sure you know, do you know what Wildlife is? I feel like that might be one no. you don't know. Wildlife was Paul Dano's directorial debut. Um, mm. 14-year-old Joe, Joe is the only child... Oh, is it The Fablemans? Yeah, it is The Fablemans. Okay, great. Yeah. You see the Fablemans? I like how you were so yeah. ready to come in here and talk about Tar and not about the Fablemans, the movie I actually really like. <laughs> well, I don't know if there's much to talk about with the Fablemans. It's kind of all like out there in the open. There's, I mean, we could like gush about the Fablemans, but I'm not sure that much, you know, hasn't been said already. It's brilliant, brilliant film. Love it. Movies are dreams. Yeah, I mean, never... I guess part of the reason I'm not talking about it is because we talked about it in messages and we didn't save it for the pod. So I will say I think an interesting thing we I think we both agreed on is that it would be top Spielberg if you didn't have kind of top spots already taken by things like E.T. and Schindler's List. And it's just like, what's every big genre movie that he made that kind of has to come before the Fablemans? Still, but you could still put Fablemans very close to the top. The AI. It's pretty good. All right. You ready for round two? Yeah. All right. Your five films are Child's Play, the remake, 2019. Child's Play 2, It Chapter 2, A Nightmare on Elm Street 2010, the remake, and Halloween 2018 reboot. Is it Knock at the Cabin? It is not Knock at the Cabin. Is it Grim Cuddy, which is a very, like, no one knows about it horror movie? Grim Cuddy is not it, but I have to check the title 25 for it, because, Yeah. By the way, the Jacob Tremblay movie you meant, did you mean the one where he has the facial deformity? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that one was in the top 25, by the way. <laughs> okay. For the record. <laughs> um, oh, I didn't have to, also, I didn't have to remove anything for Fablemans, because I like saying that. Um, no, Grim Cuddy is not in the top 25. So the year this movie came out is 2020. Okay, actually, wait, okay. This is a movie where I have to be very specific about the release date, is that it is listed on Letterboxd as a 2022 film. However, it did not get an American theatrical release until 2023. It's one of those weird ones. Skinamarink? It's not Skinamarink. Skinamarink is not in the top 25. 
So that means your next thing is you get five additional movies. Five additional movies are, and I'll do the full recap, It, 2017, the original It, well, the original remake of It, not the sequel to the, the remake of It, um, the Banana Splits movie, Us, the original Child's Play, and Halloween 3 Season of the Witch. So all ten movies are Child's Play remake, Child's Play 2, It Chapter 2, Nightmare on Elm Street 2010 remake, Halloween 2018 reboot, It 2017, It being what movie? It, the the Banana Splits movie, Us, the original Child's Play, and Halloween 3 Season of the Witch. Is it Scream 6, Scream in the City? It is not Scream 6. Scream 6 is not out yet, so it's not on the top 25. Mm. So next you get the actor based on the number you've hit. You have not hit any movie in the top 25, so you will get the top build actor in this movie. You ready? Yeah, I'm looking forward to some unknown horror actor. It's Allison Williams. Oh, Megan? Yeah, it's Megan. Yay. Do, do a TikTok dance. Megan, we love her. Yay. Megan, you're here. All right. I'm amazed by how much people online love Megan. She's great. We love her. She's an icon. We love her and more it's... than we love the uh, movie. <laughs> That's how I'll put it. All right. You love her more than you love the movie? Yeah, the character Megan is better than the movie Megan. I thought people were pretty complimentary towards the movie. The movie's fine. It's fine. It's not right. Honestly, you're so lucky you got you didn't hit anything in the top 25, because you're right, none of these other actors are anyone who would help you. But Allison Williams is the one person who would help you on this movie. <laughs> Alright, you ready for the last round? Yes. Alright. Final round is, your five films are... Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chess, Jungle Cruise, Gods of Egypt. The Mummy. Yep, it's The Mummy. It's The Mummy. Have you seen Gods of Egypt? No, I haven't. I, well, this is a, I guess this isn't really a dark thing to say. It's just a fact of life. Is There are like a select few Chadwick Boseman films I have not seen. Um, and the one that I... I'm purposely not seeing is Get On Up because I hear the movie is average, but he's fantastic in it. But the big Chadwick Bose movies I haven't seen are 21 Bridges, Gods of Egypt, and Marshall. You didn't. You don't even want to check out 21 Bridges. I mean, it's not that I, I don't, don't want to check out 21 Bridges. I didn't see it when it first came out. It's not like I was going to when Chadwick Boseman died rent it because I don't think it was on streaming. I wasn't going to rent 21 Bridges. <laughs> Also, at the time Chadwick oh, Boseman died, the one I hadn't I hadn't seen the Five Bloods yet, so that was really obviously like the one to watch. Like oh, as soon yeah. as he passed away, I think Letterboxd should not allow the Wakanda Forever credit to exist for Chadwick. I think that's kind of BS because it's obviously archive footage in it. Yeah. Well, speaking of not not archival footage, but having credits and things, maybe we should talk about our short films. Not immediately. We can re- put that well, pin. Never in the, mind. Put the pin in the transition because remember, I always say I like doing this now, and if I don't do it at the end of the episode, I do. Then you get mad that I go back to Letterbox game. The movies I'll be removing from the rotation are the Apartment, the Pale Blue Eye, Spirited, Wildcat, and the Passion of Darkly Noon. Those will be the ones that are being gone by the from the rotation. Well, we <laughs> want to talk about short films now. Yeah, I do want to talk about short films now. <laughs> All right. So do you have? So we're doing it a little bit different now because we we kind of looked at 
the way our episodes have been going and about our schedule coming up. So now we're combining two shorts every time we do one one episode. So we are now today going to do Mater and the Ghost Light as well as Lifted. Now I will point out Lifted is actually the first released of these. Should we start? Well, with actually, that then? technically they premiered on the same day, and actually now I'm looking at them. Um, Lifted premiered at the Chicago International Film Festival and made it premiered at the Bristol Motor Speedway. <laughs> Presumably before like a NASCAR race of some kind. So. It's crazy to think about making a film that gets to be watched in that way, you know? Like, you're making something that is just kind of a tribute to cars and NASCAR <laughs> and all of that sort of thing. <laughs> but you, you don't like... Um, I think that's going to be my running gag. Whenever we talk about cars, I'll just do the, the opening grip to that song. But go on. <laughs> well, it's like you can't make you can't make a difficult film before a NASCAR game. And, like, obviously that's the case. But it's funny to me that it would be Mater in the Ghost Light, which is an extension of something that happened in the movie. But it's still, like, oh, it's not about, like, Lightning McQueen learning the value of friendship or something like that. It's about... Mater messing around and getting spooked. That seems a little interesting. Did it say what month this came out in? So it came. Well, both of these came out in October. Um, lifted because Lifted played oh, at a fall well, festival, and this played a couple places. It, like it played. Uh, I think it played probably. I have to assume because it says it premiered in Hollywood and Los Angeles in October 2006. I assume it played maybe like a couple of times before, like whatever movie they were showing at the El Cap, which is, you know, Disney's theater out there. Because it's a short film, so you can't really play a short film. And then it was put on the Cars DVD on November 7th, 2006. So that's when Mater came out. Off the Great. closet. Just kidding. Mater's not a gay icon yet. Yet. Yeah. They should do well, Mater and the Babadook. Sure. <laughs> the silence is really speaks volumes. <laughs> <laughs> I the, the Babadook isn't even that gay. He <laughs> really like, isn't. I don't. You can't. You can't go back to the Babadook and observe how gay he is. It's like <laughs> they need. Sense. There really needs to be a Babadook too, where he is more gay. But that's the Babadook. Yeah, I I, re- I really th- <laughs> I really think that. <laughs> You're just like I'm not having these dumb bits. <laughs> well, Absolutely I not. I knew what the title of the episode was going to be. <laughs> um, so right. I don't know. It's, I liked. I thought this. I thought this was fine. Mater. Yeah, I kind of had to read about it to think anything of it, but I don't really remember any of this or anything like that. I I had to read about. Oh, it's the short about Mater that's not a Cars tune, and how I had to watch some of those and see how those were produced. And we're gonna do this... a lot of those on Cars tunes, just so you know. We're gonna hear the Cars mm-hmm. tunes are gonna take a lot. Of... That's what I was saying earlier. Is like Larry the Cable Guy is pretty likely to be my most watched actor this year because of the Cars tunes we'll be running through. I think this is interesting. I, I do think it's a good idea to watch a Cars tune if you had no context of it. Because I do think this is ob- the obvious precursor to Cars tunes, even though they do not follow the formula. And we'll get to more of this when we talk about the Cars tunes. But Cars tunes are really like also the build into Cars two, because Cars two is basically the Cars tune movie 
rather than actually being like a Cars sequel, it's more like let's take that concept of Cars tunes and make a full movie out of it. Um, mm-hmm. and this like sounds like it should be one, but it definitely isn't. This is kind of just its own short film that you know it's obviously like the Pixar short film on the DVD. And I will say that even though I don't like Nader as a character, I think this is more successful as an individual short film than any of those have been so far. Any of what have been Jack, like Jack, 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 Jack Attack, Attack uh, Mike's new car, and the exploring the reef. I think this is more successful as like this is a story arc that we're following, where Mater kind of learns a lesson but doesn't really learn a lesson. Do I think it's a good movie? No, but I don't really think I don't really like Mater, so that's why you know. I like- well, I like Mater. It's the more I watched this short because I watched it like twice last week and then well, like one and a half times before getting on today. The more I was just like, I don't know. There's there's nothing there. I'm just saying that like the more I watched this, the less I enjoyed it. Even though I saw more things in it, the more I just kind of saw like, oh, we've criticized John Lasseter for this thing before, or. Can I, like, oh, this is nice because we have all these angles, but can like, I just, if you actually think about the story of it, why isn't there a more clever way that he discovers it's not really the ghost light, you know? Well, I actually think I, I, I like the way it kind of tampers out because it's one of those things where it like, becomes this... This whole thing is kind of... Like, we'll say for like a six-minute long short, there are way too many cross-dissolves to like hours later in this for the amount, like the, the length of this film is like Sheriff is telling the story of the ghost light. We're going to cross-dissolve to the end of that story. And then it's like, later on, Mater's like, oh, the ghost light. And he's just running around going crazy and everyone's laughing. I think this movie has a very weird cartoon logic to it too, where um, it's kind of like, it was uh, something actually... I think I might have mentioned it in our Cars episode, but I, I took this clip from Cars when I was watching it. And I, I think I'm just going to repeat it because I do think I mentioned it. But it's like, um, it's when Lightning is like tethered to Bessie and Lightning's like, Chick Hicks is probably smoozing Dinoco right now. Then out of nowhere, Luigi pops out from under him and he goes, hello, pit stop. And then like, Lightning's like somehow surprised that he was under him. Anyway, all this to say, I think this also has that cartoon logic where Mater like finally gets exhausted. He notices that the ghost light was just on his signal time. He goes, he goes, what? And then the camera pans over, and it's like the entire town is just there laughing at him. It's like they didn't think, like, like how did he not see them there? Yeah. And it's not like, it sounds like, I'm, I feel like in a way, me listening to myself talk, it's like, it sounds like I'm kind of conflating, like, cinema and he's like, what? He knows it. But no, I actually like that. I think that's an asset of the short, that in the Cars universe in general, when it leans into the more of the cartoon logic, because I think in general, the Cars universe is not, like, does not make much sense. But I think what it's like, oh, no, it's a cartoon. It's silly. It's fun. Some other things mm-hmm. I noticed was... This movie disproves the Pixar theory, a theory that I hate. And that's because the Pixar theory states that Cars... Oh, God, I thought we'd never come to this. ...is the end of the timeline. But do you know what it says on Stanley's statue? 1901. What? It says 1901. Yeah, Cars in the takes Cars the... universe. You know, 
For a movie that's there very, had, there had to be a Jesus in the Cars universe. We haven't got there yet. We haven't got there yet. That, that, that's a discussion for Cars too. <laughs> that's when Jesus comes into these movies. Is Cars too? Um, but what I was gonna say is, um, for a movie that is very concerned with both Pixar and Infinite Multiverses, the fact that there is no Michelle Yeoh car and everything everywhere is a missed opportunity. Guess they gotta keep it for the sequel. Where would that be in that movie? Like, instead of the beautiful Rakakuni thing? No, not instead of Rakakuni. I think you can put it in just, like, that sequence where they're fighting and they're, like, just going very quickly to those universes where it's, like, they're in jail, you know? Or they're pinatas oh, now. she should be a car, yeah. you mean? What? She should be a car yeah. in one of those universes? Yeah, oh. just, like, very quickly. Like, kind of just shift to a car chase for a second. But maybe they were already worried that the record. I feel like I'm, I'm kind of joking though, because I also think like obviously Rakakuni kind of covers that pop culture reference. You know, like you don't need to do another Pixar reference if you have Rakakuni there. Mm. Um, the other thing I was thinking about watching. What? Sorry. No, you're gonna say. No, something. I was. I was saying. I was about to say something like, "I want to know what else you thought about this movie." So carry on. I like when Mater turns right to go left, and it's just like, ah, cool, we have all these models from cars um, that we can just reuse, these, not models, these environments from cars we can just reuse for this short, and it's great. And part of me also thought that it would have been great if they, like, really went in on that and, like, had him, like, somehow end up, like, at the stadium. (laughs) Like, an empty stadium. (laughs) But. Yeah. Well, save that for cars, too, I guess. I had other thought too, which is um, this has some more to do with the Cars sequels and the Cars tunes. Is I believe, and if I'm wrong, when we get to it, you can say I'm wrong. I believe this is the only other thing that features Lightning's other paint job. Yeah, that makes story sense, but I kind of don't like his other paint job. It just huh? doesn't seem like him. I like his other paint job. I mean, I like it, but I think that it's weird that that is that he can't be like one thing or the other. I do think I think it is kind of weird in the sense because it is very clearly like I don't know. It's like I feel like it's casual wear for him. If that makes sense, right? Like it's the off season, so he can like relax. But then he still has the ninety five on his side and like the rusties stuff, like very small on him, and it's like you can't like be casual without that. I mean, maybe, I guess maybe the sponsorship rules in the Cards universe requires him to always market Rusty's, but he can't be without the 95. I don't know, I get get what you're saying where it doesn't feel him, but I feel like, I don't know, I feel like it's comfortable assimilation, and I guess we shouldn't, like, approve assimilation in any regard, maybe? I don't know. Do we we think Lightning should assimilate into, like, the pop culture of uh, Radiator Screen? Yeah. Radiator Springs is is lightning a liberal elite that is now trying to pass himself off as a real American. Um, no, because a I real, don't think that a real American or the people America. America. He doesn't. That just doesn't exist for like the people of cars. I feel like there are so many concrete ways you could show something like that, and so much tension. But I, I think. Maybe maybe part of why I don't feel that way is because the people of Radiator Springs, I it was almost like Cars Town or something. 
they all <laughs> they all have like they all have like personal connections with Lightning McQueen. I feel like if <laughs> this is kind of a weird like Lightning McQueen apologist thing to say, <laughs> but I feel like <laughs> he, has, he has like genuine connections with everyone in the town, and I'm not saying that that's it's not like the whole conception of that is not problematic, but I think I just I just don't have that that the Cars universe doesn't give me that anxiety. I don't. I'm not like, oh man, he's Yet. secretly, secretly like becoming part of it. This just never occurs to me. I think we really need like a deep dive into the Cars universe. I think we need the HBO miniseries of Cars, or at least the Andor of Cars. I would make it about no. Max founding a truckers union. Who's Max? Mac, Lightning's oh, Mac. driver. Yeah. I also want to say I do like one gag in this. Which gag is that? It's the one where it's like, oh, Mater, I know you're behind that very conspicuous stack of cans. And the Mater's like, ooga, booga, booga, booga. We love Mater here. Just kidding. I hate him. <laughs> Why do you hate Mater? Because he's Larry the Cable Guy. Also, again, it's one of those things where I've seen all the cars, dude. So it's just something where I've seen too much of Mater over my over my life. I have seen too much Mater, and the mm. fact that I'm gonna have to see more Mater is just like, ugh. oh, this is the mockbuster for. Sorry, I was looking at um, I open up the wiki tab at the bottom where it's like cars, the franchise, and it's like cars, cars two, planes, planes, fire and rescue, cars three, and then it says miscellaneous at the bottom. Mater spings, okay. The Lego car sets, okay. The Autobots, what? And it's like a mockbuster that's made by China that came out in 2015 called... Oh, it's a ripoff of Cars 2. They rip off the right one. That's very wise. Disney actually sued for it. That's pretty funny. Also, too. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, shall we talk about Lifted? Yeah, I guess we can. I wanted to talk more about Mater. But what do you I have to say about Mater? I'm just glad. I don't hate him. Well, I meant Mater in the Ghostlight, not like Mater as a prophet, now as a person. Uh, I'm glad Paul Newman was able to get in a couple more lines for this. Um, really glad we we went to that trouble, and we have to talk about the post credit scene that sets up the future of the Cars and Mac universe. Does setting it up really. I have setting never. Up the, no, no, I'm joking. That I was joking. I was like, it sets up the Banshees of Inisher, and that's what I was leading to. Uh, oh, that's another <laughs> movie that came out. Yeah, but that one's about banshees, and this one's about banshees too. What did Mater ever do to you? I don't you? know, man. I've like, I've, maybe it's like a February slump or something. I'm just like, this is this is one of those ones where I'm like, I just cannot care about it. And maybe maybe that's like bad podcasting. I don't know. Do I have to like show up and With be notes. like, oh, Come this film changed notes. my life? Yeah, hmm? it's a groundbreaker. <laughs> Mater the Ghost. It's line. not a groundbreaker, though. It is it's not even. Right. It's, it's not a film. On the Wikipedia page for Lifted, it says that it goes out of its way to be like they did not use anything new for this film except for this uh, new program for a certain kind of animation. Um. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't really know what to make of Mater and the Ghost Light. It's fine. I'm glad they did something horror-y, but then it wasn't. It's not even that horror-y. It's a problem for me, too, because I really tried to, like, sit down with this film and, and like, sit down well, it, and give it a second. But I I just, I kept watching it, and I was just, it's so unsatisfying to me. Did you like the bug, at least? 
Yeah, I liked the bug. But, I mean, that's a joke from the first movie, too. Another thing that really frustrated me is the reason I said this is something that is a perennial John Lasseter problem is that, you know, when we watched that first short that he did with the monsters in the bed, he there was that weird moment of the thing casting a shadow. And I think my problem with that original short was that the kid's acting was weird. But now we have a similar thing here where you have something that appears to be a shadow of a monster and then the light goes on it and it's supposed to not be a monster. But once again, I think he bungles that because it still looks terrifying and because we're in a world of cars, it still looks like a giant metal monster because it used to just be like a shadow of an alligator and now it's an alligator made out of metal and they didn't yeah. like put the shadows in other I places. I would agree. That, that just... joke does not work at all. Yes, 100%. Yeah. That, that part is so weird to me where it's like, <gasps> and it's like, no, it's still it's still scary. You're you're right. I I agree. I'm not gonna. Yeah, you you're right. You're yeah. right. Mark. And I mean, I do like the part where he's like, I <laughs> he says I had to turn on subtitles for this, but he's like, the ghost light is going to sell my parts on the internet, and that's like the last thing he says before he realizes that it's the ghost light. And I'm like, there's the kind of Mater is a human talking about crazy human things that I enjoy. I really yeah, like uh, the idea of of Mater being more like you know Otis from the Andy Griffith show, who wasn't as not like the actor's name. Yeah, but I know. You know what I'm he's like do 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 do. Well, yes, but um, yeah, I know Otis. Is. I'm just being. That's Don. Wait, is yeah. that Don Knotts? No, that's uh, Barney Fife. That's Barney. Otis yeah, no, I know Otis is Otis. Is he was played by Hal Smith. And, yeah, and he I think he was in Stagecoach too, unless I'm confusing him. Yeah. Has a uh, Hal Smith showed up on the snub club? Let's do a quick check. He I just I like the, the character of. He's in a lot yeah, of Disney he was shit. a character actor in a lot of things. He's in um, a lot of Disney stuff. I didn't realize that. I just I just like a wacky character who just goes around saying nonsense, and I guess like Barney Fife is kind of that character too. But I I like I like that Mater can be that more than I care about him being a truck or being or even being Larry the Cable Guy or whatever. Okay. Like, you, you can you imagine, like, Don Knotts being, like... I think Don know, Knotts I would and, like more as Mater. Well, just, you know, you can just imagine him saying something like, Andy, you know, I, I think these guys are... These bank robbers must be, like, Russian spies or something like that. And it's enough of a jump that it's, like, funny to me and it's also kind of rooted in his paranoia and his, like, half-knowledge of things. That's funny to me. Um, All right. Yeah. I'll let you move on. I like to those parts of things. I'll let you move on. You did it, Mark. Well, all right. I got there. Lifted. Really interesting short. Um, it was directed by Gary Rydstrom, who's a sound guy normally. He He's... famously has a movie. He has Pixar's only big canceled movie. Usually when Pixar had a movie, they tried to finish, they, uh, they didn't cancel it. They, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm thinking right now. Um, he usually, when Pixar had a movie that didn't work, they usually got a new director on it. But with his movie, they just thought, were like, no, we're done. We're not, we're not trying anymore on this. And that was Newt. And the thing about Newt is if we ever want to cover more of it, what we could do is, I don't actually suggest, even though I I think it could be fun because I've never seen these movies, but we could just do a detour episode on the real movies. 
Because this movie got canceled because Rio has the exact same plot as it. And Rio beat it out by a lot. I do just now see also, this is actually interesting. I didn't know this. Um, I had never heard this before. Is Ed Catmull revealed that before he canceled it, and this was in March 2014. And I think me giving you that date is important. Um, because Newt was an, another unlikely idea that wasn't working. We gave it to someone new, like we always do, Pete Doctor. He said, I'll do it, but I have another idea altogether, which I think is better. And we thought it's better, too. That was the reason we didn't continue with Newt. And the reason I think it's important to say March 2014 is because I think that is pre the announcement of Inside Out. So it's like, it's this movie he's working on. It's going to be good. And yeah, he did Inside Out instead. It's also interesting because there are a couple references to Newt in Toy Story 3 and Brave. So it's like, this was a movie pretty far in development. They just dropped it because it was bad, you know? I have never been into Rio. I've never wanted to check that movie out. I've but... never seen Rio. So that's why I was like, yeah. maybe... I was like, we could, if we wanted to, we could do it. There's also Lost Media... Wait, is this really from five days ago? Lost Media from Newt? This is the Newt episode now. No, not really. Oh, no, I'd seen this before. There's some concept art that leaked on the internet years ago. But... Is Does that count as Anne Moore? Or will we never nah, talk about it? No, nah, I, I think the only time I'd want to... If, if we did do... Hey, something about Newt. I'd rather just do a Rio detour because I've never seen Rio. But we can talk about that do you down want the road. To? Yeah, it could be fun. I've never seen them. We could only do the first one too if you just want to do the first one. But we again, we can we can get that okay. down the road. I mean, Let's it would, talk be, about it would be interesting to watch something that I know nothing about and neither of us have seen. Yeah, I mean that's kind of John Carter also, but <laughs> I think John Carter falls under that. I'm learning more about John Carter against my will, unfortunately. Just being on the internet, people being like, man, y'all have been sleeping on John Carter, and then they show the clip and it's like, this sucks. <laughs> but, like... I just always think about the TED Talk that we referenced in our Finding Nemo episode, where it's Andrew Stanton, he's like, yeah, all my movies are great, and he opens up like a secret, breaking out a sequence from John Carter, and then you can just tell everyone in the audience is bored by it, and then when he talks about Wally and Finding Nemo, you can tell everyone's like, okay, yeah, I'm listening now. <laughs> yeah. Well, whatever. But Lifted, Lifted, Gary Reinstrom who we will eventually also cover another movie. He did get a film out eventually. We will eventually talk about his movie mm. he did make, but let's not talk yeah. about it now, um, especially with the new detour we already took. Um, well, Lifted, I don't really like. <laughs> really? I think it's more successful, just structurally. It's one of those things where it falls under that like thing where it's like, oh, it's this wacky idea that we're just going to put these very human attributes to and give you the same joke for five minutes and it was funny the first time and it just keeps going and going uh my main thing i think about this movie is the reused assets in very particular how linguini is being abducted because they don't try to hide that it's linguini and that was even more distracting considering this played before ratatouille in theaters oh, but i don't man. know I we're gonna have, do Ratatouille soon. Remy, I have That's to add why the, I like this I have short to the Ratatouille because it comes musical to our Ratatouille. schedule. I keep forgetting mm-hmm. to add the Ratatouille musical to our schedule. I um, mean, what is I? It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. You were talking about that's a your. I don't mean to say your axe to grind because I think I get where you're coming from, and I think it's a valid point. But I think besides that, you know, it just it has a bit of a rising action and. Eventually it fails. It's still not the most... It's It kind of 
operates on this whole like we will build tension but it's not totally clear how the tension is being built except through scale but it's not clear why the boss alien uh takes control when they do the guy's about to die but it also doesn't make much sense because yeah i was gonna say the cartoon logic of this is that this guy never wakes up so like it doesn't like there's no real Suspense because oh yeah he didn't die but he somehow has not woken woken up from this at all. Yeah, it's not like you know. I, and I then don't he know dies at the end anyway. Mm-hmm. I don't know how doable this could have been, but you know, can you imagine if they had brought him into the spaceship? Lifted is the one where they're trying to abduct someone, and it's an alien learning how to abduct someone, and they're on the ship. In case anyone is not clear what we're talking about. But can you imagine if it had been, like, he comes up to the spaceship and he starts, like, waking up and he's, like, nose sniffles or something and he's, like, his eye just kind of half opens and that's when the boss alien jumps in and sends him back and that would be shuts him all up and everything? That would be better. Because then also it's, like, you, you lull him back to sleep so he thinks it's a dream, you know? Yeah. And then it's more funny also at the end when he dies because it's, like... He thought it was a dream, and then he dies. Mm-hmm. Good comedy. Death yeah, be not proud. Sorry, that made me think about something else. What death? <laughs> something <laughs> that, no, something that we're not this, qualified this, to talk about. This mortal coil that we exist on. <laughs> well, you notice in um, the Transformers trailer, the new one, they use the very well-known, uh, notorious Big song. And but they cut out the N word. <laughs> I mean, like, it's, that's, a, it's that's gotta kind be a serious like, trailer. Yeah, that's, that's why. like that's why you know that line from the song. It's just like, hmm, hmm. <laughs> that was just distracting for me. I mean, it's, it's not like, not the same thing. It kept but I coming. I always think about uh, the Sonic the Hedgehog trailer, which I think lives rent three in most people's heads. And that includes Gangsta's Paradise in it. Anyway. I hate the character design. Actually, you know what? It's not the character design. Okay. Here's what. Here's what, here's the issue. So, according to Wikipedia, all these characters have names. So, the character of the main alien is Stu. And the uh, the, the um, driving instructor is Mr. B. Here's what drives me a little crazy about this short. When Mr. B saves today at the end... He is a blob who's able to make all these different appendages to help him. Can we, wouldn't it be better if Stu had that too? Like, more funny if we had this alien with multiple appendages messing things up? Well, I think that, you know, you you have the layer of real where they're humans taking a, taking a driving test. And then you have to deal with that, like... You know, just multi-armed aliens is, I think, a bridge too far. To but it go, but my point is, if you're not gonna do like, it's more just at the end. Don't have him grow the other hands. Then, if you don't want that to be part of your rules, if you needed to grow multiple well, hands to control this ship, then he should be using multiple hands in the driver's test. You say it's multiple it. hands, but I'm pretty sure that because of the fade in and fade out, it's meant to be just they work so quickly that you can't see them. I think it's multiple hands. I'd have to look it up to be sure, but I'm pretty sure it is multiple hands. I mean, I'm just going off watching the short. I think that because the 
arms like fade in and out as they're moving and you don't see you don't actually see like you don't see like hands growing out of their body or something like that you know i think it'd be better if they had multiple hands anyway i think we should have more things where things have multiple hands the other thing i was going to say which i think is important to talk about here is we have the opportunity to speak extensively about the wilhelm scream we can have a long really i don't want to why who who cares about the Wilhelm scream at this point? I mean, like I think that if I told you the learn, last of us episode learn four about had what a to do with the horizon, I, I, I'm pretty sure that if I told you that the last of us episode four had a Wilhelm scream, you'd be like, "Huh, all right, I guess I gotta watch that to see how that works out." The last what? If I said the last of us episode four had a Wilhelm scream, you'd be like, "Huh, all right, I guess I gotta watch that to see how that works." I, that's no, it. I don't. It's in everything. It's not anything anymore. Other than like probably may, I may, maybe like eighty for Brady, but it's not like in stuff these days. I feel like eighty for Brady is more cinematically literate apparently than most films out there. Um, but I do not care about the Wilhelm scream at all. I think anyone listening to this podcast knows what it is, and this is, this isn't a, a video essay from two thousand eight. Wow, March just shut me down. Two thousand eight. No, I mean, just, I don't know. I'm just, like... Well, Wilhelm's... can I just say what is better than the Wilhelm scream, at least? I think... Sure. When Disney... I think there's a trend in, like, the 90s, but not, like, with their main movies, but with, like, other stuff, where they'll mix... Well, I know, I think when Gaston dies, they mix in Goofy scream as he falls. It's not the main part of the scream, but when Gaston dies, I'm pretty sure you hear a little bit of... Like, if you listen very carefully, you hear the... Doi, hoi, hoi, hoi. I might be wrong. That might be an urban legend. That's pretty interesting. But if it was, I think every movie, I think we should bring in the Goofy screaming at anything. It's like how I just like doing my Goofy impression for people. Have I ever mm. given you my pitch for the Goofy, the third Goofy movie? No. Do you want it? Yeah. All Is right. it about Goofy dating? No, okay. So, I came up with this idea in 2017. It's about Goofy. The title of the movie is just Goof. And Max has died. And Goofy has his ashes. And let's drive him across the country to lay him to rest with his mother. But Pete goes with him too. And it's a road trip movie. As they discovered that like the world is dying. And there's no hope anymore. And we set the trailer to, of course... Oh, I hurt myself today, gosh, to see if I still feel goofy. I focus on the pain. Oh, no. Yeah, I thought it was going to be a the Logan Oh, the thing that real door. You have to let me get to the door. Always. <laughs> it was magical. Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> yeah. Next next up is Dad Max, which would be the fourth movie where it reveals Max is alive and has kids. what they should i don't know i'm just i'm i'm enjoying the idea of like instead of i don't what kind of does this now because it's like an snl thing but it's i can't really think of like cartoons that are plugged into the pop culture like this but it could be like every every like six months there's a new goofy short which is about the the films of the day you know, you just remind me of one bit of Knock at the Cabin that cracks me up that has nothing to do with the movie, but it's a change from the novel that I heard, which is there's a part in the, near the beginning of the movie where the TV is just playing in the cabin, 
And Batista looks at the TV and he's like, I like this cartoon. It feels like it teaches children empathy. And I think that's an important lesson for them to learn. It's like Strawberry Shortcake. And apparently the book makes it explicit. It's Steven Universe. And I think that's very funny. (laughs) I learned about it through some horror writer. And it was on my radar. And that's how I learned about the movie. Like a day before, you know, maybe a trailer came out or something like that. And I'm just like, what are the what are the politics of this book? It is so intriguing to me. I, I'm curious about the book, but I'm also like, I don't read, and I like the movie enough, and I've read what the book changes, and I think I like the movie more. And I know people will be like, well, Danny, you didn't read the book, so what can you say? I'll be like, stop. Stop telling me to read. Stop telling me to read. Stop telling me. And I'll just keep repeating, stop telling me to read till the people walk away. I'm surprised by that because I think, I don't know, it's hard for me to know what happens in the book and not be like, that just goes so much harder in in like every way. So I, I know you might want to put a pin in that until we get to it later and not spoil anything, but... Well, what I will also say is I think that Lifted is a short film. And I think it's really funny that I kept pushing you to talk more about Mater, because I definitely have more to talk about with Mater, so you should probably be pushing me to talk about Lifted, because I don't... I, I, <laughs> I mean, how do you think about it structurally? We've kind of talked about it, but that was something I... Uh, here's I, a question okay. I wanted to ask. How do you think this affects your uh, view of Pixar? Because this, for me, along with Cars, is sort of more of what I kind of mentioned at the end of the Cars episode, where now we're finding the Pixar aesthetic, and things will branch out from here. It's all kind of uh, coming... It's all kind of coming together with Cars. And it's like small-town Americanness, And then it branches off again. And I felt like this was another example of that. So it's like, if you were to write all this on some chart or something or get like statisticians or whatever to put the little thing on the on the board you know it's like another one in a farmhouse i think it's interesting to look at this as something and this is me talking about ratatouille having not seen ratatouille in such a long like ratatouille is probably the longest break i've had between movies watches that and good dino when we get to them will be like the longest breaks i've had between watching these movies and talking about them and I think it's interesting to pair this with Ratatouille because Ratatouille is very much Hick goes to big city, even though Hick is actually, you know, not Hick goes to big city, but you know what I mean, like rural guy goes to big city. Um, Mm -hmm. And this is very much sci-fi concept. I mean, it's not, this isn't weird. This is like science, right? Like this is a very clear, like farmers and aliens do go together. Like, but I, I didn't, I, I, this reminds me, in a way, and actually in a way, because I know you've defended Mater quite a bit. Um, and I think you've done a good job defending Mater. But I think this short actually fits more of what I complained to Mater about, where I think it is going for very low-brow humor. Um, I don't like the butt joke. But yet, I think the butt joke is incredibly like important to what this is. Like, the fact that the big gag is he's finally about to get him out, and his bucket's stuck, and we see his crack. And it reminds me of, like, Barnyard, where there's, like, the character that just exists to be a butt crack, basically. 
And it's like, haha, that's a really easy gag for children to laugh. I'm reminded of when I saw Minions, The Rise of Gru at work. And all the children thought the funniest thing ever was just the minion showing their butt. Uh, and I think it shows a lack of trust in your audience. Um, I think I kind of said that also with the um, the the models for these aliens. I think this fits in the Pixar politically. By, in a way, you know, it's. <laughs> I mean, maybe I shouldn't be this hard on it, but it is kind of like, how much will the audience take that we've already done, right? Because this is these are gags that are like in barnyard and over the hedge, like, you know, like upper animated movies, really. Put into this idea that is kind of new, but it's still like a reskinned, like real life funny scenario, but with something a little goofier. And it's all reused assets. So like, what it like, what, what, what I don't know what to get out of this other than I don't think it really... I don't like it because I don't think it really respects the audience. And I don't think it's very funny. I think it goes for the easy gag constantly. Mm. The funniest it gets... Well, it's not... Because the thing is, the ending isn't really even that clever either. Because it just also... like I hate to... I, I feel like recently with these shorts, I've been getting very like, pedantic. But I think what makes Pixar movies great is that you really can't pick them apart. Like, anything you would want to be mad about, you can be like, well, yeah, that makes internal logic. Because I might not appreciate this direction, but a good Pixar movie generally has a good reason for going that direction. But then it's like, we sacrifice everything this short is about for a gag at the end, where this, the thing just crashes into the um thing. You know what I mean? It reminds yeah. it reminds me of uh, if we want to talk about something I sent you, and if you want to cut me off because I know you don't like talking about New York theater that you haven't seen, it reminds me of that thing I sent you about funny not funny girl um the Music Man, where it's like apparently they had a bit in that show where Hugh Jackman and Sutton Foster would constantly break every night, and like the audience thought it was great because it's like oh we're seeing something honest, and it's like no nah, it's a rehearsed bit of artificiality because I guarantee you. The bit and lifted where they crushed the house at the end probably always got huge laughs by the kids in the screening. But yet, now as an adult, I look at it and I feel like if I was a parent at the time watching with my kid, I'd look at that short film and be like, okay, like, so what was the point? Like, you know, like we had the heartwarming ending where he got the help. We don't need an extra gag at the end. The gag at the end can be the guy waking up and seeing they accidentally left something. I don't know. I don't know if I answered your question. <laughs> I didn't. What? <laughs> I just wanted you. Well, you kind of did. You, I just asked about how you thought it fit in with the rest of the Pixar, you know, world. I don't mind talking about New York theater. I don't see much of it, and that is why I just the music I never man hear. Is why? <laughs> no, it's just I don't know. It's just what is there, you know. It's, it's it's hard forced. to it's hard to find it's hard to find something that like <laughs> it's hard to find something that has anything appealing about it you know like you you talk about like I didn't know going into the last of us that uh I would have so much to say about Nick Offerman's performance but I heard people that I respected talking about it and that's what got me in, and I mean, that's what would get me now to recommend that episode to someone, and 
also about you know things like I'm trying to think of something because you know this is this is how I am with horror movies and just anything where I read a summary before I go see it and that sort of thing. I just I just need some like there needs to be something in the movie itself that gets me to the theater and not like advertising about shit that happens around the movie. Like mm. if you told me that the new fucking Mission Impossible was about like Tom Cruise like loses an arm and then he has to like he like some street kid is like he has like stolen it and he has to like fight the street kid to get his arm back but like he can only use like metal chopsticks and the kid has a gun and I watched that this sounds great yeah I, <laughs> I know right like can you tell me one thing in that you know it's it's like I just I just don't care about how much prep work you do for these things. Like no one has ever told me anything about the new Top Gun movie. Except honest no no no, but this is actually a good example of this because you told me that the camera work in the planes was worth going to see Top Gun for. So that's like you need to, you need to tell me something about the movie, not just like how they learned to fly planes, you know? Yeah, this, I mean and like, that's my problem with everything is uh, especially with theater it's like even with that show i told you about that i was like thinking about seeing it's i don't know it's kind of a money thing and just timing doesn't really work out but it's just like you know what's mm. what's some hmm? no i was saying yeah 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 go on sorry yeah just, well it's just like, like i need something more than like big names or something like that because i've seen endgame a billion times i mean i've not seen endgame ever actually but I need to know that it's like, what is it, a new production? is, Or is it like kind of a rehash of the production they did where they set it and everyone's like living in trash? Or did you like do anything new with the concept, you know? It's, I don't understand why you wouldn't try to reinvent Endgame. This is me going on a rant about stuff that you don't know about, no one knows about. I think I summarized it really well with the Top Gun stuff. So, yeah. No, I mean, that's all good. I mean, I get it. It's like, uh... It's like, uh, I don't know. It's going to say it's like Doctor Strange 2. You're going to be like, it's not like Doctor Strange 2. I hated Doctor Strange 2. What's, what, how, what happened to Doctor Strange 2 that made me get into it? I mean, I don't know if this I caused guess there you were, like, to get into from... it. I think in general, that's a movie that I like be like, yo, you should check this out because it's very way. I, Raimi got away with a lot more than I expected him to here. And that's like a reason like I know people watch it. And then there's people who hate that movie that are more into Marvel. And then there's someone like Tyler who's really into Marvel and really likes it and that makes me happy. But you know what I mean? It's like... I was talking to Julius about this and I, I know pivoting to Marvel is always like the most boring possible way to take a conversation. But it's like... It is crazy that Doctor... Like the discourse around Marvel last year was Thor just sucks. Doctor Strange 2 is disappointing and Black Panther Wakanda Forever is probably as good as it's going to be and it's like it's really weird that doctor strange 2 like i feel like doctor strange 2 is personally to me by default easily the best one of the three um but yet people just complain about that movie constantly because oh. it's yeah. got wanda being bad in it and people don't like that oh but yeah yeah 
I can't really. I don't. I can't think of anything that. But I don't know. Maybe maybe that's being like over dis, overly dismissive about me. You caught me on a weird day. I'm like I'm very very salty today. You are salty. Yeah, and I try not to be for the show. But do we have anything else to say about lifted? Uh I think lifted's fine. That's all. I don't. But it's fine. I We've just, already we we talked about it. I don't. I I can't like argue for it. I think you've made some compelling points. Even All though right. I think it's a little bit of like you know, it's cheap, but that's fine. So, are we gonna give it anything? Are we gonna give them both the same thing? How are we uh, gonna do this? We've never done this before. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess we have to come up with some kind of thing for that. I don't know. I kept thinking about like how to make this work, and I don't know. I think I think I would I would give them both like uh, this has been a thing in my life lately. I've because I watched The Last of Us. Mushrooms have kind of been like weirding me out lately, but I enjoy eating mushrooms. So I would give them both like a long hero sandwich that they have to cut in half and split between them. But it has mushrooms on it, and they just feel weird about eating it because it reminds them of all the gross stuff in Last of Us. All right, so I'm gonna give it something, but I have to I have to set this up right, okay? As I, as I do when I give stuff things. So we haven't talked about them yet, really. But the Oscar nominations came out, and we don't need to talk about them. I talked about them on my other podcast. But there are five songs, as always, nominated for best original song. And those songs are Applause from Tell Like a Woman, Hold My Hand from Topka Maverick, Nazi Nazi from RRR, This Is a Life from Everything Ever All at Once, and Lift Me Up from Black Panther Wakanda Forever. That song is going to probably be performed by Rihanna at the Oscars. But what I will instead give both these movies is an opportunity for a larger platform. And by that, I mean that the lifted alien is going to show up, beam up Rihanna, and beam down Mater to sing the song from Black Panther Wakanda Forever. It will be what everyone's talking about the next day. It's going to overshadow the Will Smith slap. Everyone's going to be so shocked by it. So <laughs> that is, I'm giving the, both the, both these. I'm giving both the alien and Mater the platform to really go viral. <laughs> Lift me up. That, that was only one year ago. Yeah, it really is. It was crazy. I, oh, you know what's just as crazy to me? Two years ago was when the uh, Oscars decided to end with. Just a still photo of Anthony Hopkins on screen with one computer going, well, bye! There's a little bit that thing that happened. <laughs> yeah, it's unfortunate. Yeah, very unfortunate. <laughs> well, uh, what are we doing next time? Well, we were talking about New York theater earlier, but we're going to go for theater down in under florida that's right we're going to disney world just to see a musical listeners of the podcast might be like wait there are other disney park appearances of pixar characters what are you talking about aren't you why don't you just go to the parks and my answer for that is not yet (laughs) we will go to the parks at some point not actually go to the parks as, as much as I would like to. If this podcast was successful enough that we could be like, oh, we make money off it and we can make it a business expense to go to Disney World. I'm sure we would love to do that. <laughs> but what we will instead do 
is watch the first stage show I believe ever made around a Pixar thing. Actually, that's not true, and we'll get it. We can get into the other stage show I've seen of Disney parks before this one next week. But there's no bootleg of the one I saw. But we're going to go to Animal Kingdom to watch Finding Nemo the Musical, a stage show version of Finding Nemo featuring songs I believe by um, the Lopez's. I think it's by both of them. I know Robert Lopez wrote the music. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I, maybe I should double check this just very quickly because why not? I have it. I, I'm on Wikipedia right now. What? They made a Finding Nemo 2? Wow, do you know Gary Rydstrom lives in Chicago? I should contact him. Oh, oh we can't gosh. even go to Disney World to see this. It closed when um, COVID hit. So. It never reopened? It reopened as a reimagined version, which I guess we could eventually watch the reimagined version. Yeah, this music is by the Lopez. Because <laughs> the reimagined version is also on YouTube. Uh, I'm curious how they reimagined it. I'm very curious. Um, but we're going to watch the original bootlegs. It opened in January 2000. Well, actually, it opened. Um, so remember, if you remember, both Made in the Ghostlight and Lifted premiered in October 2006 at festivals or on DVD. So, Finding Nemo, the musical, premiered at Disney Parks in January 24th, 2007. It got COVID closed and it got reimagined. So, yeah, we're going to watch the Finding Nemo musical. <laughs> it's going to be a good time. Under the Sea. Looking for the Ocean is produced by Mark Young and Danny Vincent. Our original artwork was done by Sarah Knopf, and each episode is edited by me. If you'd like to be notified about new episodes, you can find us on Facebook at Looking for the Ocean of Pixar Journey, on Twitter at Pixar Journey, on Instagram at Looking for the Ocean Pod, and on our website, lookingfortheoceanpixar.podbean.com. If you want to know what I'm up to or find me on social media, you can head over to markyoungperformer.com. And if you'd like to see all my takes on all the movies, you can find me on Letterboxd at Blankman's. If you'd like to hear me on another podcast, I also have The Snub Club, a podcast about film history. We'll see you next time. See you next time.